All right, good evening, everybody. Tonight we'll be in Romans chapter 11, if you want to turn there in your Bibles, Romans 11. Just something to keep in your prayers. Uh, Kimberly Watson's mom passed away. Um, she'd been sick for a while and put on hospice, but she's gone home to be with the Lord now. And There's no funeral planned as of yet, probably Thanksgiving or something, or could be sooner, but there's still... There's no hurry. Um, they're waiting for family to get in and, and all. It could even be as late as Thanksgiving is all. So keep them in your prayers. If you want to send them a note or something or email or a text or even a call, I'm sure they'd appreciate it if God puts it on your heart to do so. So anyway, that's where we're at there. Um, tickets are still on sale for the Source event, the art, the live art. We've got some posters up there in case you're wondering more about that. It's a live art with worship, and um, uh, we have a, a speaker coming in, and then they'll be auctioning off the painting at the end. Those tickets are available for me. I'll be selling those here. Um, so just talk to me. If you want to do it on a, on a card or something, there's something you can fill out out there, and just we can do it that way, and then I'll get them to you whenever you're ready for them or whatever. But if you want to write a check or cash or something, I can do that even tonight or whenever. Um, but that'll be going on for a month or so. Here we'll be selling tickets, so keep that in mind for that event. Got a thousand seats. Love to see it full. The more people we see there, the better it'll be, and um, it's exciting. It's a, it's going to be a neat thing, I think. Um, Romans chapter eleven. Uh, Paul continues his thought uh, about um, basically one through ten is is taking us up to this point that. Uh, as we as we went through the predestination versus free will um, and God's sovereignty and so on, it, it leads up to this chapter 11 where God is sovereign enough to enact this plan and fulfill it, um, coupled with, of course, our choice and decision. And that's what he's taking them to. Israel has first rejected Jesus, and that is part of the sovereign plan because then the Gentiles are included, were grafted in. We'll learn about that tonight into the olive uh, root system, the olive tree. Um, But then they're going to get their chance again, another opportunity, and they will receive him that time, the second time, all part of God's sovereign plan, and yet um, all according to our free will. It's a beautiful beautiful event how God can work something like that out. Um, And so that's what chapter 11 is really about. There's this confusion that um, and we've talked about this as we've gone through this, this uh, replacement theology that's infected the church, and it is an infection that needs to be cut out and done away with, um, that somehow the church has replaced Israel, as all the promises intended for Israel is now spiritualized and given to the church, and, um, and that's false. And in fact, ironically, as, as we see uh, these things happening in, in, in around our nation in Charlotte and so on, um, that's where those ideas come from. That's where the KKK comes from. Uh, that's why they carry a cross. They, they truly believe that they're the replacement of Israel, and that's why they hate the Jews so much and, and, and so on. So, so many of these things come from that. Um, it's one of those where we really have to be careful with our doctrine um, because we need to follow it through to its logical conclusion. Where is it going to lead us? Where will it take us? Unintended consequences a lot of times, but mainly just because they're not thought out. If they were thought out, if we'd sit and let those things, those ideas that come into our mind, if we think about them maybe a couple days longer and read a little more scripture, we might come to much better conclusions than we do. 
Um, anyway, anti-Semitism all over the world comes from that. Um, this replacement theology, this idea that God is done with Israel, they've rejected their Messiah, they killed Jesus, and now we are the righteous ones on the earth. And so we are free to hate them. And uh, Paul's here to challenge that right off the bat. I mean, he got it enough foreknowledge of what we would be like later on, that that doctrine would develop, um, that he writes this to the Romans to warn them, hey, you Gentiles, hey, you Gentile believers, be careful that this doesn't even get planted in your mind because you're wrong. And uh, anybody that's read Romans 11, any theologian that's read Romans 11 should have a clear understanding that this is um, all part of God's plan and uh, we need to wait for him to unfold it. So, verse 1, I say then, has God cast away his people? Certainly not. There we go, there's the end of the Bible study right there. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) but leave it to Paul to elaborate, right? Has God cast away his people? Certainly not. And it's amazing the people that will still espouse that. He's cast away his people. Okay. Do you read your Bible? You know, yes, we do. I can quote it. Okay, well, quote 11.1. And they'll read that and they'll say, yeah, but that's not what it means. He hasn't cast away his people, the church. It's not even close to being in context. It's not even close to what the writer's talking about. There's no thought given to the heart of the, uh, of the author and what the intent is behind it. What point is he trying to bring across? Certainly not, exclamation point. Just as certainly not of all the other questions he's asked throughout Romans. Should we sin more so grace can abound? Certainly not. Nobody argues with that one. And why do they argue with this one? For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin is one of the lost tribes. Not so lost, are they? I say that because that's where this comes from. This replacement theology is the lost tribes. There's there's lost tribes. There's no way to find them. There's no way to round them up. God's promises can't come to pass because nobody knows who's Jewish and who's not. And if they did, they don't know what tribe they're from. And then along comes genetics. But that was... That came way after. Nobody could ever think, well, they're dead and gone now. They're nothing but dust. How could they possibly know now? We can know. You just need to find one guy you knew was a Benjamite, check his DNA, and check it with everybody else's DNA that's still alive, and it'll line up. So now we know. So how in the world are they going to get all these priests together when that final temple's built? How are we going to know that they're Levites? How do we know that we're going to be of that tribe? Genetics. We can do that now. Paul says, besides genetics, he didn't know about genetics. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. He wasn't lost at all. He knew exactly what tribe he was from, which guarantees you everybody else did too. They're not stupid. You think that God is done with his people? I'm Jewish. And I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. Of course he's not done with his people. Of course there's an opportunity for people to get saved. He's not, he's not done with them. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. There it comes. This is the point of talking about predestination. This is the point of explaining all that beforehand. Not for us to argue about now as Gentiles, but to make the point here in chapter 11 that God is sovereign. And although they've rejected him 
leave it to him to work it out to where they get a chance to receive him again. And he does, because he's sovereign. But the decision's still theirs. Paul made his decision the first time Christ came. And most of the nation of Israel received Christ the second time it comes into their eyes and they're able to see. And he's going to describe that here. It's sovereignty, but it's still free will. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? Now, this is what I love. And this is where you got to pray about stuff and dig deep and, and think about it a little bit. I've meditated on this. I've been thinking about this. This is one of those scriptures that were very personal to Paul. This is a very personal scripture he's about to share with us. This is something that's very important to him. He shared another one earlier about how if it weren't for covetousness, I wouldn't know that I needed Jesus. And it's a paraphrase, but that's basically what he says. That law about covetousness is what broke Paul to say, I can I cannot do adultery, I cannot kill, those are things I can keep myself from, but covetous that's inside. I can't stop my mind going there. And once it goes there, I can't pull it back. And even if I did pull it back, it's too late. It's already been there. And he knew he was defeated at that law. That was a very personal moment for him. This is another one. Or do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? How he pleads with God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. Why would that be important to Paul, the Jewish guy who's preaching the gospel to the Jews? Because they beat him everywhere he went. Because they'd throw rocks at him and sticks and give him stripes and beat him. This is very personal to him. Because I wonder if he didn't have the same kind of thoughts and prayers towards Israel at that time. Maybe. You know what, God? I'm the only one that cares. I'm the only one that believes in Jesus. I'm the only one out there preaching this. Nobody else is alongside of me. And God answers Elijah. But what does the divine response say to him? What was God's answer to that prayer against Israel that Elijah gave? I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. And that was probably God's same answer for Paul. There's a lot of Jewish people that are going to believe you, Paul. They're not all going to believe you, but there's a lot of them. More importantly, we're going to the Gentiles anyway. This, Paul took this very personal. It was very encouraging to him to get up and to walk back into those cities, to continue on with the message of the gospel to the people he loved so much, who hated him so much. I have reserved for myself that 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Even so then, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. There's always a remnant. There's always a group. There's always a... A section. You can read through church history, and, and you, I look for the remnant when you read through the church history. For the most part, the gang, the crowd, is off. And, you know, you can name some big moments in history where the crowd of Christians was off. But there was a remnant that was faithful, that actually believed in the gifts of the Holy Spirit throughout that actually believe that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and there's no other way to get to heaven but through him. Throughout, there's always this remnant of people. You ever see that friendship bread? Everybody give you that friendship bread, you know? That's kind of what it's like. Friendship bread. If you don't know what it is, it's this, well, it's this mushy bag that someone gives you inside of a Ziploc. And you let it fester on your counter, and every once in a while you break it. It's disgusting, I know, but it tastes good at the end. And you always save a little bit, and I don't know how it works, because I just, I just eat the product. I don't go through the... 
don't give me friendship dough, okay? Because it ain't going anywhere but in the trash. I love you, but I just don't have the, you know, it's just, it puffs up. And I'd probably let it go till it exploded to see how much pressure the bag. The idea is there's always a remnant that you pass on to the next person. So it's this constant dough, although you're adding to it, you take a little bit away. So there's always some of the original to each person. That's the idea, a remnant. And it keeps it going. It keeps that rotting action going. That's probably a really bad example for what I'm talking about here, but that's all that came to my mind, okay? But there's always a remnant, according to the election of grace. And if by grace, then it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. It's a very simple statement, that verse 6. And if by grace, then it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. You cannot have works and grace in the same sentence. I've worked hard for my grace. Doesn't work. They can't have it. It's one or the other. And so it's by grace. So it can't be by works. In other words, you can't blend them. You can't push them together. But if it is of works, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. What then? So what's our conclusion? Since I just said all that, Paul says, so what then? Israel has not obtained what it seeks, but the elect have obtained it, and the rest were blinded. Oh, see? God just chooses some people, and he chooses to blind other people. That's fine. Go with that thought, but then follow the rest of the chapter through, because he's going to say the blinded receive. The blinded are going to have their chance and their eyes are going to be opened and they're going to see and they're going to believe. So the blinded, the ones that God didn't choose, are still going to choose him. And some won't and some will. But they're not destined. They're not stuck. They're not, gosh, I'd really like to go to heaven, but I can't because God won't let me in. It's whosoever still. Just as it is written, God has given them a spirit of stupor. This is the blindness. It's a spirit of stupor. Eyes that they should not see and ears that they should not hear to this very day. It's situational awareness is what it is. You're always taught to have situational awareness. You should always know what's going on. If you've done any kind of any kind of training in any kind of way, you should always be aware of your surroundings, whether that's just the safety CO guy. What are you, what's your title? Safety dude? No. You're what? Oh, we one of those guys. You're a tree hugger at Kawasaki. Oh, okay. All right, all right. Safety guy who checks, you know, well, when you go through orientation, you've got to have your ears on. You've got to have your eyes on. You've got to have all the situational awareness. Pay attention to things. Is that locked out? Is it not locked out? I'm talking about factory stuff now. Or you're driving your car. Girls come out of a, a, a building. I don't mean to be girls. It could be some guy too. You come out of a building in the middle of KC and it's dark. Situational awareness. Pay attention to your surroundings. The people that get hurt, the people that ca- get caught off guard, the people that don't know, they're in a stupor. They come out of the building thinking of something else other than their location, their surroundings, their environment, what's happening around them, and they get caught off guard. That's what this means. Israel's been given a spirit of stupor. They're content. They think they're okay. They're not aware of their surroundings. The situation seems fine. And they're blinded to what they should see that's right in front of them. 
Isn't that the hardest thing when you're ministering to someone who's in such a desperate situation and they're looking at, why is God doing this to me? God didn't do anything to you. You decided to be here. Look around you. How did you end up in this place? Why are you behind bars? Why are you in this situation right now? What happened? Let's, let's backtrack and see what led up to these events. And as you walk them through it, sometimes their eyes are opened and they're woken up out of their stupor. My goodness, I jumped in this pit. Other people sit there and say, yeah, I still don't understand. And you can't believe that they're so blind to their condition. But that's the case. Some have obtained it. The rest were blinded. The elect have obtained it. The rest were blinded. God's given them a spirit of stupor, eyes that they should not see and ears that they should not hear to this very day. And then he quotes another scripture, and David says, Let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a recompense to them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they do not see and bow down their back always. The idea behind that is if they're so content at that fat table that they're at, full of everything they could ever want in this life, let them be blinded. Let them stay there. Unfortunately, most of us who are born-again believers had to be broken. We had to, be, we had to have that table taken away. We had to have all the things that were distracting us from God and our need for Him removed before we actually opened our eyes to see it. Oh, you know, it wasn't until we were in trouble that we cried out for help. And then we realized the real trouble, the spiritual trouble we were in. Most of us got into trouble physically in this world and we cried out for help and God showed himself to us and he showed us our need spiritually, our sin and our need for him. And that's how we got saved. That's why we rely on him and trust in him for our salvation. And the, the problem that led us there is nothing compared to our eternal problem. And we realize that. Some people don't. And God gets them out of that temporary situation that brought them to that place on their knees where they cry out to God and they go right back to what they've been doing that led them there. It's a frustrating process to watch. Um, I can't imagine what God sees and how often he sees that same event. And so David says, let their eyes be darkened so that they do not see and bow down their back always. Let them be enslaved, basically. Paul says, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Certainly not. Certainly not. They're not taken out. It's not a fall completely. It's not a, an utter wipeout, a last chance. You've, you've no more opportunity. You're, you're forgotten people. No. But through their fall, to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. In other words, we got saved to see if we can get the first group saved. We're a tool in God's hand. We talked about that last week. You know, that's our mission, to bring Jewish people to jealousy. We just talk about their Savior. His, oh, my Jesus. Your Jesus. Yeah, my Jesus is so great. He's such an awesome Savior. He's so compassionate, long-suffering, patient, kind, full of mercy. Oh, the grace that I've received from God, my Savior, Jesus. That makes him mad in a jealous way. That's all we're supposed to do is talk about what Christ has done for us, how beautiful he is. And it drives him nuts. That's a good thing. 
Women have been doing it for years. Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> I can't get his attention. We'll do this. <laughs> now I got his attention. I should delete that off the... It's really bad. I'm going to be in big trouble. But that's what he's talking about. Provoke him to jealousy. I'm going to fawn over you Gentiles, you church. I'm going to, I'm going to give you everything I wanted to give them. I'm going to just give you all the blessings. I'm going to... Not to replace them, to get them. To get them. Now, if they're fall... Um, Salvation has come to the Gentiles. Now, if their fall is riches for the world and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? So if their fall or their temporary rejection of Jesus Christ has caused this richness to come to the Gentiles, how much better is it going to be when they come? If all this sovereign plan is about getting those Jewish people to finally believe on him, and we're just a tool in this sovereign plan to bring them, I'm not meaning to diminish your in my relationship with Jesus. But that's what Paul's saying. Don't get too excited, Romans. Don't get prideful. Be careful of that, because it's a snare if you think that God prefers you over them. He doesn't. How much more their fullness? God is excited about getting the Jewish nation. Excited about it. For I speak to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles. I magnify my ministry. If by any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are my flesh and save some of them. I'm an apostle to the Gentiles. He understands his worth and his, his purpose. I'm going to minister to you Romans to get you saved. But understand the primary goal is to get them saved by getting you saved. I'm an apostle to you. And he says that I'm really to I'm really to magnify my ministry if by any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are my flesh and save some of them. We get all mixed up. We think it's meant to not we, I shouldn't say that. I don't want to include you, but that's where this replacement theology comes from. That's where the KKK comes from. That's where all these thoughts come from. Is we're done with them. We're over with them. No, no. Our ministry as Christians is not to replace the Jews, it's to provoke them to jealousy. And when you're not doing that, when we're not doing that, we're not fulfilling what God's called us to do in the Jewish person's life. We don't hate them. We love them. We woo them. We talk about our Savior, their Savior, to them and what he's done for us. And we provoke them to jealousy. Magnify your ministry. Paul does. For if their being cast away is the reconciling of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? For if the first fruit is holy... The lump is also holy, and if the root is holy, so are the branches. Now he's going to go into this um, metaphor, I guess, about olive trees. It's a word picture. It's an object lesson. So he's got this picture going, okay, we're talking about branches here. And if some of the branches were broken off, and you, being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them, and with them became a partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree, do not boast against the branches. But if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. It's a big thing. I think that'd be a struggle for the KKK. And you're a Christian because you've been grafted in to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
and they support you. You in no way support them or replace them. You're only here and are suckling as a, (laughs) I don't mean to be too strong here, but you're a parasite, basically, that God's allowed to take place on this natural olive branch that started with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And you're blessed to be there. But they were broken off. Those who rejected Christ were broken off. And these olive, these wild, us, we were grafted in. You will say then, branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well said, because of unbelief they were broken off and you stand by faith. Do not be haughty, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah, get excited about being saved. That's great. Be excited about being grafted into this branch. Be excited. That's great. They were broken off so that I could be in there. Don't wag your head. Because if they were broken off because of unbelief, don't think he won't break you off because of unbelief. That's the impression here. That's the idea. It's a very tough chapter for those that say once saved, always saved. It's a very difficult thing to comprehend and understand. But Paul's being very clear here. As long as you believe, you're good. You're grafted in. You stop believing, you're in trouble. It's very clear. I mean, there's no, I don't even need to add to it, but that's what he's getting at here. He even elaborates on it a little bit further. Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fell, severity, but towards you, goodness. In other words, wow, look how fast he snapped those branches off, but wow, look how fast he grafted those back in. You, be excited about all that. If you continue in his goodness, if, if you continue in his goodness, Otherwise, you also will be cut off. That doesn't get any more clear than that. And they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. This is a process. We're taught abiding faith. We teach abiding faith. The Bible teaches abiding faith. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. No, but if you don't believe in God... Well, what about that scripture that says once you've you know, uh, rejected him, how then can you be brought back into repentance? How can that happen? What happened to that, that first John thing? Or was it Jude? Or I don't know where it was. Somewhere over there. Way in the back. What he means by that section of scripture back there is once you've rejected Christ, there's no other plan. You have to accept Christ. That is the plan. You reject Christ, there's no other plan to get to heaven. You can reject Christ for sure, but there's no other way by which you can repent except through Christ. So once you've rejected Christ, there's no other way. But that doesn't mean that you can't believe again. As long as you're still breathing, as long as they're still alive, they can believe again. They can be grafted back in. That's the whole point of this whole section here. Yes, the Jewish people rejected their Messiah. God snapped off that branch and threw it over there. But if they don't continue in that unbelief and believe, they get grafted back in. And then he tells us, as Gentiles, don't get too excited about that. You just worry about sticking to that vine. You just worry about sucking off that root, staying attached to Christ. You become detached from Christ, you reject Christ, 
you're a branch by yourself over there and you're going to wither and die because that's the source of life. That's how you grow. That's how you bear fruit. That's how you not die. But apart from it, you do. For if you were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these who are natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? In other words, it's easier for them to be grafted in than it was for God to graft you in. He makes it very clear here. God's sovereign plan is in action, but he's not done with the nation of Israel. That plan continues. Right now we're in a pause. I mean, you can, we can go over Daniel in the 70 weeks of Daniel, weeks of years that God has for the nation of Israel and how he's taken care of 69 of those weeks of years. And we're in a pause between 69 and that final seventh week or 70th week of years. That's the great tribulation period. Got 69 weeks of years, all of a sudden Messiah came and is cut off, and the Gentiles are getting saved to woo them, to get them jealous for their Messiah. Then Jesus comes back on the scene. The church is taken out. Those that were making him jealous are taken out, and there's their chance. They've got that final seven weeks, that great tribulation period, to receive Christ as their Lord and Savior. That blindness is going to be removed. They're going to be able to see. Not everybody's going to. But the whole chunk of Israel will get a chance. They'll get their opportunity. And it's going to be easy to graft them in if they want to be grafted in. Verse 25, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. That's what I just described to you. That blindness in part means it's temporary. It's not a permanent blindness. It's temporary. That blindness in part... It's partial. It's temporary. When that gets lifted, when the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, they're going to be able to see again. And so all Israel will be saved as it is written. The deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. That's Israel. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. That's, that's to happen. That's going to happen. How much damage is done when the Christians don't do and don't believe what God's called them to do in the nation of Israel's life? How much damage has been done as the church has embraced this replacement theology and forgotten their mission is to make Jewish people jealous by loving their Savior so that they want to love him too? Instead, we cast them aside and call them dirty and try to overthrow them and fight against them and do whatever we can to discourage them, throw them in ovens in World War II, gas them, march against them, turn against them. Boy, we came close. Those last eight years we had were very close. I mean, way too close for comfort of rejecting Israel, sanctioning, siding with people that were writing sanctions in the UN against them, the only nation in the world that was on Israel's side, the Christian nation, the only solid Christian nation who would stand beside Israel and lift them up and provide for them and take care of them and tell them how awesome their Jesus was, came this close to falling into that same demonic spirit of replacement theology, that same demonic thought of anti-Semitism. 
people that we have to understand this. God has got his eye on them. And he's looking for them and he is focused on them. And when you touch his people, you touch the apple of God's eye. That's how closely he's watching them. And we came very close to poking God right in the eye. By the grace of God, we've, well, we've got another few years anyway. Very dangerous place. So, watch out for that teaching. Watch out for a church that teaches that. It's not of Christ. It's not of God. It's a false doctrine. It's a man's doctrine. It's a demonic doctrine. And anybody that teaches that, that they've replaced the nation of Israel, and that their Israel is false, and it's of the Antichrist. That's a spirit of Antichrist in the church. Very dangerous. Anyway, God wants him saved, and God is going to do it. Concerning the gospel, the good news, they are enemies for your sake, but concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of their fathers. In other words, God remembers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He remembers those who used to follow him, and they're loved. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. That's often taken out of context. He's simply saying God chose Israel to be the father's bride, and they still are. Read Hosea. That's the whole point of writing Hosea. That's the whole reason Hosea had to go through what he went through, is to show what it was like for the father to be married to this nation. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For as you were once disobedient to God, Yet now, or yet have now obtained mercy through their disobedience. Even so, these also have now been disobedient. But through the mercy shown you, they also may obtain mercy. He's just reminding them of where they came from. Yes, you're saved now, you love God, you're born again, but that's not how you were. You were disobedient, and God reached out and grabbed you and showed you. This is the truth, this is the light. And he's going to do the same for them. And you should be happy about that and excited for that. For God has committed them all to disobedience that he might have mercy on all. God desires mercy and not sacrifice. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Aren't we glad? My puny little mind trying to think of my own salvation way. You know, okay, here's what I do. What am I going to do? Build a ladder? Get a rocket? What am I going to do? How am I going to get to heaven? What's my plan? What's my thoughts? God has come up with this ingenious plan. How do I give them free will so that they can love me, and it's true love, and yet save them because I know they're not going to do it. They're going to choose to be, because I made them in my image, they're going to be that way. They're going to think contrary to me. They're not going to submit to my will. They're going to follow their own will, and yet I don't want that to happen, so I've got to find a way for that to... He's come up with this whole great plan. There is no other way. I'm going to give them a tree that they can choose to eat from or not eat from. They may or may not. They will. But then I'm going to make a way for them to get saved by sacrificing my son instead of them. And anybody that believes on him, so there's that choice again, believes on my son Jesus, will get to have that applied to them. And if they don't, that's their choice. Then they don't get it applied to them. 
For God has committed them all to disobedience that he might have mercy on all. Oh, the depth and the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Ever come into those sections of scripture that make your head spin when you're studying? Do you study? If you study? When I study, I get to those places, it's like my brain just comes to a grinding halt. My gears get stuck. And then I remember this passage right here. Yeah, this is one of those things I can say this is way past finding out. Moving on. I can just move right on. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Not me. I mean, I try, but... Or who has become his counselor? I've tried that also. <laughs> what, you, what you really meant to say, God, was no, no, no. Or why don't you do it this way? I, I don't understand why you're not doing my plan and you're doing your plan. No, I'm not to be his counselor. I'm, he's to be my counselor. Or who has first given to him and it shall be repaid to him. Nobody. For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. It's a very important statement. He covers three things here. This is all for him. It's our, it's, this is all of him, I'm sorry. All the plan, all, all the thoughts, this, this is all sovereign. It's all going to happen through him. No one else can even participate in this in the sense that we can't enact the plan. We can only answer the plan, be a part of the plan, respond to the plan. And to him are all things. In other words, it's all to give him glory at the end. How in the world did you work all that out? What an ingenious plan you came up with, God. The church is being used by God to make Israel jealous. Remember that. That's what we're here to do. The church has been chosen. This sidetrack of God's grace and mercy being poured out to the Gentiles is meant to bring Israel to come to know him. Remember that. When you get this in your heart, when you watch the news, when you hear people say stuff, red flags will start going off because you now have knowledge of what God meant and what he, what he said in his word. You're going to say, how did I never see this before? You might even say some things that are anti-Semitic and you didn't even realize you were doing those things until after you've read this chapter. I don't know how many times I've walked away from a Bible study from Pastor Chuck or my pastor, any kind of conference, and I've walked away and I hear my own voice and I'm like, oh my goodness, it's me. I do that. How many times did I used to say, I'm going to Jew them down in price? I can't believe I used to say that. Or call people that because they were stingy. Oh, you Jew. That's just my derogatory term for describing them for being cheap. I don't know why lightning bolts didn't hit me. But then you read this stuff and you see his love for me like, oh my goodness. I had no idea. I had this in my mind that I was better, that I was okay, that, you know. This is so important. This is so you know, we've got to make the Bible relevant for today. <laughs> Could be more relevant with the news going on right now. Guys, you think this year was bad? Next year's going to, I don't mean to depress anybody, but next year's going to be worse. And the year after that is going to get worse. And the year after that is going to get worse. You understand, we're, we're free-falling now towards Jesus Christ coming back again. We're not climbing up any mountains. We're not slowly going down any slopes. We're on a rocket ship to Christ coming back. It's exciting. I'm smiling because this is everything he said was going to take place right before he takes the church home to be with him. 
And when that witness, we, the church, meant to bring Israel to Christ, leaves, that's their opportunity now. And I'm excited for them to have that opportunity. I'm excited for them to see their Messiah for the first time, to believe on him. When that special group of people that always loved them, that always showed grace to them, that didn't put them in ovens, that, that emancipated them during World War II, the groups that came alongside of them, sent them money, helped them build, provided them defense. When that beautiful group of people that loved their Messiah so much is taken away, they're going to see the one that spurred our hearts to be a blessing to them. We're, we're in the way almost right now. When we get taken out of the way, they're going to see Jesus clearly. It's so exciting. I'm not depressed by what's happening. I'm not surprised by it. This is supposed to take place. Things are going to get worse before Christ comes. And as bad as it was with a couple hundred people in one small town, I mean, honestly, out of 350 million people in this nation, a couple hundred people got involved in an incident. It's going to get way worse than that. And are you ready? As a Christian, yeah, I'm ready, I'm saved. No, no, I mean, are we doing what we're supposed to be doing out there? Yes, live your lives, of course. Eat your bread in quietness, of course. And you want to be lived peaceably with all men, of course. All those things are true. But are you ready to give a reason for the hope which lies within you when given the opportunity? Are you ready to answer those people that say, I just don't understand. I don't know what I'm supposed to think about, Charlotte. You don't? Let me help you. Here's what God's word says. You know, are you ready for that? Can you give an answer for people? Please be ready for that. This is the greatest opportunity for the church right now. As these things rise, as these things begin to unfold and take place, we get the opportunity to share what we know because he's told us. Hey, church, I got this great idea for you, this great secret. I'm going to give you eyes to see the way I see. You can discern the spiritual things. The flesh, those folks, they can't discern spiritual things because they're discerned spiritually, and they're not spiritual. But you are, and you know, and you've got my word, and you believe on me, and you trust my word. I've been faithful in the past to fulfill everything I've ever told you is going to take place. That means I'm going to be faithful in the future to fulfill everything I've told you is going to take place. And you have all that knowledge right in your hands. So tell them. Tell them. Oh, yeah, no, don't you see what's happening here? This is exactly here. This is what's going on here. Yeah, no, they're not right. And no, no, they're not right either. See, none of them are thinking right. They're all thinking wrong. No, it's not about America. It's not about our history. It, there's so much more. It's about eternity. And it's happening. So be excited. Be ready. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your word. We thank you that you tell us these things and show us these things. And we're so thankful that as the wild olive branch, we were grafted in. And we don't want to be prideful. We don't want to be arrogant. We don't want to be ignorant like you asked us. We, not to be ignorant of this mystery. That Israel is going to come back on the scene. That they are going to see their Messiah and have the opportunity to receive him as their Lord and Savior. Just like we did. Help us to be a part. A partner with you, God in this ministry to the nation of Israel, to uh, expelling ignorance in those around us that don't understand these things by showing them what your word says. The prophecies that are so clear. Lord, as things go worse, Lord, 
as far as this world goes, as far as this creation goes, as far as our governmental structure goes, as far as our secularism goes. As things get worse, God, I pray as Christians, we just become stronger, more full of love, full of your Holy Spirit, walking and using the gifts of the Holy Spirit to give out the fruit of your Holy Spirit, that we might be true ambassadors for you here on this earth, walking around with wisdom, with light, with salt, as we're supposed to, God. That we'd accept our mission tonight, revive our mission tonight, and be about your business, our Father's business, every day, Lord. Whether that's towards our family, who we're with most of the time, our workers, our co-workers, some of the time, or the stranger that we meet occasionally, God, that we would always be ready to give a, a reason for the hope that we have in you, Jesus. Why aren't we depressed about what's going on? Why aren't we confused about what's going on? Because we know you, Jesus. Lord, I pray that you give us opportunities this week to share your love with those around us, and I mean by sharing the gospel with them, that they might come to know you, that they might be born again and have salvation in your son, Jesus. And we love you. Thank you for the teachers tonight that took the time to prepare lessons and teach our little kids. Thank you for them, God. Bless them. Um, I pray that they were as blessed as the kids. I pray the kids are blessed, that they remember everything they were taught, that you'd hide your word in their little hearts, that they'd be able to understand it completely and draw closer to you. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.